0: And because it's secure and encrypted, there's no need to talk in code. It's it's less, Hey, the dog
1: it's time Mickey Blue-Eyes swam with the fishes. Well, that's good <laughs> code, Greg. You know what? Everyone would be fooled by that. You are a yeah. genius.
2: Impenetrable code. Very good. Smashing Security, Episode 231, Sexy Snaps and Encrypted Chat Traps, with Carol Terrio and Graham Cluley.
0: Hello, hello, and welcome to Smashing Security, episode 231. My name's Graham Cloudy. And I'm Carol Terrio. And Carol, we're joined this week by, well, he's a favourite of the fans. It's Dave Bittner from the Cyber Wire and Hacking Humans.
1: Hello, Dave. Hello, hello. Good to be back. Hi, Dave. Thank you for coming on the show again. Well, the pleasure is mine. Now, I hear your house is
0: under attack at the moment. Is that right, Dave?
3: it is it's under a oral attack uh it's uh we we are we are deep in the midst of cicada land here on the east coast of the united states um which means uh, oh i don't know 85 db of constant uh noise <laughs> but also cicadas are big dumb bugs um and they just fly around into everything and they they're harmless they they don't bite or sting or anything like that but they just sort of buzz around and, and crash into you and when you're driving you get them on your windshield and it's um it's a it's a nuisance but it only happens every 17 years so there's that <laughs>
1: Are you sure you're looking at this the right way? Surely this is just free protein. Like, don't you just get your barbecue out? And... Well,
3: yes, there are people who are doing that. Uh, I am told that when you cook them up, they taste like shrimp. But I'm going to take See? I'm going to take other people's word for that.
1: <laughs> oh, really? I would totally try.
3: Well, totally. Uh, yeah. Uh, if it, if it, if
1: I'll be there in seventeen okay, years. Okay.
3: Ter- there you go. It's a date. <laughs> 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 no, but the dogs um, and all the birds, like all the other critters are having a feast off of these things.
1: Exactly. Yeah. I think you just got this the wrong way. Okay. Um, how about we thank this week's sponsors, 1Password, DeepSecure, and know Before. It's their support that helps us give you this show for free. Now, coming up on today's show, Graham, what do you Ooh,
0: got? I'm going to be talking about the amazing Anom encrypted secure chat app thing. Okay,
1: I know nothing about right. that. Good. Dave, what about you? I've got the story of the
3: FBI serving a process warrant in a child sexual abuse materials case.
1: Oh, great. Sounds fun. Sherry? <laughs> I am going to reveal a screw up at Apple, that they tried to keep quiet. Plus, we have a featured interview. Simon Wiseman from DeepSecure, he's their CTO, explains how their tech works so that they can guarantee zero malware. All this and much more coming up on this episode of Smashing Security.
0: Now, chums, chums, are either of you a godfather?
1: Yes, I am. Yes, I am. I'm so bored
0: of these bored questions. Why can't they even just be? (laughs) Have you ever found yourself stuffing cotton wool into your cheeks?
3: (laughs) Slurring your words? Making people offers they can't refuse?
0: Horseheads in other people's beds. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Are you Mm -hmm. Mr. Big Dave? Um, Don't answer Uh, that Corolla. Are you a kingpin or queenpin? (laughs) Queen pen. <laughs> of an yeah. organised crime syndicate. Well, I can tell you it's not easy, is it? It's not easy being a godfather of crime. Because who can you trust? Everyone's double-crossing everybody else. There you are one minute, whispering commands into the ear of your conciliary. No records being kept of what you've ordered to happen. Nothing to lead back to you. But that was back in the simple days, right, of Marlon Brando in the Godfather movie. But now we've got tech up to our eyeballs so you've got to be very careful with how you communicate and many people these days are using smartphones to communicate and i've been watching we even
1: have tech on our eyeballs really glassware
0: yes yes Mm. yes those kind Mm -hmm. of crazy things i know a chap who wears these weird sort of iot sunglasses and they've got this Hmm. big bulbous (laughs) bit at the side which I, i don't know if it's bluetooth or what it is but he's yeah it's kind of kind of crazy now I've been watching Line of Duty on TV, so I know. Still, no. In I have been. I'm, I've, I've watched all of it now, but I, but okay. I know what cops do when they want to know what someone's been up to. They grab
1: based on the yes. TV show. <laughs> very, okay. reali- very realistic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like yeah. I understand. I understand how to do forensic science after watching a series of CSI. I'm with right. you. I'm with you.
3: Zoom in, magnify <laughs> ants. <Dance. laughs> yeah. What they do is they grab your phone.
0: I I think this is what real police do, right? It's now, can we grab their phones? Because people have got Mm. their phones on them all the time. People are sending emails. People are instant messaging. People are taking photographs. People are calling each other. Can we get the call log? Can we track where they were at a particular time? Can we find out who called them? A treasure trove of information for the cops. Well, there are apps out there which aim to fix all of that if you are a criminal. So what they do is they say, look, we we will help your communications remain secure if you're nabbed by the police. And one of those is called...
1: Yeah, but that doesn't mean it's not just for criminals. Presumably it's for anybody who wants to keep their stuff private.
0: Ah, well, this this particular one, Kroll, is specifically targeted at criminals. It's called Anom, and the O is a zero, A-N-0-M. It's a secure messaging app, runs on a stripped-down smartphone... Not any old smartphone. This is a smartphone which can't make phone calls, can't send emails. It looks like a terrible phone. You think, this is a all-in phone. All I've got on this phone is some sort of calculator app. But it's designed purely for criminals to have end-to-end, secure, encrypted communications with each other. And the idea is you can trust it because a nom runs out of
1: Switzerland,
0: right? And we know...
1: <laughs> okay, so 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 say you and I, the three yeah. of us, we were cohorts in some big-ass crime and we wanted to talk about it, but we live in different locations, mm-hmm. right? And we don't have landlines anymore. So rather than, we would use this app to communicate because we would be clear that you know, no right. one can listen in that's on right. it. That's no right, no one can accept right. the messages. Gotcha.
0: Mm-hmm. And it comes out of Switzerland. And I, think, I don't know about you, but when I see a piece of security software which comes out of Switzerland, I kind of think, oh, that's great. Because Switzerland likes secrets, doesn't it? Sweets and Twison never wants to <laughs> upset anyone. <laughs> they so, look
3: after your secrets like
0: it were Nazi gold. You know, mm-hmm. they, they will happily swear.
1: Or Trump or Trump. No, no, it was Kind of their
3: thing. Yeah. It's kind of their thing, right? They actually, yeah,
1: Watches, it. cuckoo clocks, yeah. and <laughs> yeah.
3: secret bank accounts.
1: And even mm-hmm. if you're
0: caught with a, an Anom phone, the cops may not realize what it's used for. And the the way you access the encrypted uh, chat system i'm
1: sorry i'm not clear is this a phone like an actual phone or is this an app on a phone
0: it is an app running on an actual phone but a particular phone so you buy the phone which comes with the app so it's a specially modified phone
1: and i buy Doesn't this at the, the, at the robbery emporium
3: mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. well yeah <laughs> exactly. or you buy it from a criminal
1: so you can you you can go
0: to a Noms website and you can request one of these. And what criminals are doing is they they realise that their criminal mates need these phones as well. Or if you are the Godfather, Dave, you buy a hmm. hundred of these phones, and then you sell them to your cohorts, maybe making a little mm-hmm. bit of a profit yourself. And when you I'm get taking one these it phones,
1: out of your your take,
0: <laughs> and when you buy one of these phones, you also take out a subscription for the service. So you're you're paying money every six months or so to keep it going. And they give Mm. you a special pin. So the way you access the actual chat app is you open the calculator on your phone. You enter a particular number, and that then secretly, craftily opens the chatting app, right? So you Mm. have the option as well, if you enter the wrong code, to wipe the phone. So if the the cops get you, you think, well, I want to be sure everything's wiped off this.
3: This phone will self-destruct in five seconds.
1: (laughs) And people use this phone like to do other stuff too. Like they would have other stuff on it because they can do an auto wipe, or they would just have this for. I think if you're a serious criminal,
0: you just use it for this. You don't risk Mm -hmm. putting anything else on it because you you might put some piece of spyware on it, which could then snoop on you, and you wouldn't want that. Right. So it's a bit like EncroChat, which we talked about a few weeks ago with Paul Roberts. it's making money. The organisation is obviously acting a little bit dodgily, and it's assisting criminal gangs.
1: And they're in Switzerland, untouchable, right?
0: Right. And because it's secure and encrypted, there's no need to talk in code with your fellow criminals, right? Because you're fairly feel fairly secure about your communications. Hmm. It's it's less. Hey, the dog. It's time,
1: Mickey Blue Eyes, swam with the fishes. <laughs> That's good code, Grim. You know what? Everyone would be fooled by that. You are a yeah. genius.
3: Impenetrable code. Very good.
0: Anyway, anyway, so good news for criminals, right? Mm. Mm-hmm. No. No, no, no. <laughs> this, what? No, Dave.
3: <laughs> what? Go on, Graham.
0: You, this is not good. This is not good Tell news for criminals. me Because, because word reaches us from down under that the Australian Federal Police have arrested hundreds of people, seized tons of drugs and weapons, confiscated millions of dollars worth of assets. All from criminals who were using this anonym encrypted chat service. So, to find out how they did this, we need to travel back in time three years.
1: How long?
0: Three years. Okay. I don't have that kind of time. <laughs> well, we'll make up for it later. <laughs> so, if you go back three years, what happened was the Australian police and the FBI, they were having a few beers together right, chit-chatting about this because they would just successfully shut down another encrypted messaging service beloved by criminals called Phantom Secure. And when Phantom Secure was shut down and dismantled, the cops thought, hang on a minute, we've shut down that. That just means the bad guys are going to go somewhere else, doesn't it? Yeah. Because yeah. right. nature abhors a vacuum.
1: And, mm-hmm. so and they're looking the FBI- for a super secure way to communicate.
0: Right. So they're think- so at first the police are thinking, well, which one should we try and dismantle next? And then they went, ah, ha, 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 ha. Or in Australia, they went, uh huh, uh huh. Oh, no, it's different. <laughs> anyway, so really? the- was- <laughs> they went, cripes, mate. You know what you we go. best do. You know what there we best is. <laughs> do. We're <laughs> crikey. <laughs> we should create our own secure messaging app and pretend it's for criminals. And that's what they did. So they created this whole <laughs> criminal infrastructure secure chatting system called a NOM. They then got police informers to seed the app with other criminals.
1: Mm-hmm. And said, oh, yeah,
0: I'm using this app. You know, I've upgraded it. I don't use WhatsApp anymore. I use this instead of so much. Did you read about the
1: flashcard things? Don't use that one either.
0: <laughs> no, do <don't>. mm. <laughs> And eventually the big criminal bosses were using it as well. Based on other criminals' recommendations. And of course, they are the equivalent to social media influencers. They are so if if the big <laughs> boss is using a particular chat app. If Don Corleone
1: was on yeah. Facebook, uh,
0: they'd yeah. all be on Facebook. You better Yeah, why aren't you following me on Instagram? <laughs> right? So mm-hmm. they
3: <laughs> bit of a status symbol having one of these devices.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so Everyone begins to do it. And some of the criminal bosses even sold the phones, like I was describing, and subscriptions, not realising that ultimately the money was filling the coffers of the very police who were going to use the app against them because the police were able to watch in real time messages being sent between hundreds of criminals
1: for years. Um, and fund and fund the investigation. Yes. <laughs> You know, Graham, this does this does spit in the face of your theory that if you pay for something, you get what you pay for. You know, as opposed mm. to getting free apps.
0: Hmm. Very, very true. Very true, Carl.
1: It must have been extremely fun to create this app. You know, with this, like we have to dupe people, like you know, for the good.
0: We'll we're do we're a website. We'll make sure it's got Black dark, background. Yes, a dark mode. <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. Make it look as criminal as possible. And mm-hmm. the police reckon that they've stopped huge shipments of drugs. They've uh, intercepted about 20 death threats. And they reckon, you know, other innocent people may have had their lives saved because of all these. And so the, all these arrests have happened in Australia as we speak.
1: So the reason it's come out that you know about this app is because of the arrests?
0: Yes. So the police have now gone public on it.
3: Hmm. Now, Grandma, I've been following a lot of the conversation of this on you know, mm. Twitter and other other places, um, and I've seen people say that uh, the bad guys were starting to catch on to this in the past couple of months. Uh, some of their, like there was a blog post that where someone, I guess the bad guys have their own security researchers and someone, <laughs> someone figured out that traffic on this app wasn't just going between folks. It was going somewhere else. So they were starting to get, uh, suspicious. I guess it was too late. It's just so it seems.
0: Yeah. From that blog post, it looked like they, they were saying it appears some information be maybe being sent to like an American server or something. Well, wasn't it? It mm-hmm. was.
1: Um, and that would have forced the co- the cop's hand to come clean anyway right because if they are already sniffing of like this could be not legit right. uh,
0: the rather than starting
1: to put in like fake information or whatever i
0: guess yeah. there comes a point where the cops think how much are we going to get if we carry on doing this as opposed to you know, basically playing our cards now you know is there more mm-hmm. to be gained from saying okay we've got information about that all these hundreds of people, we think we can go and arrest them and, and do some damage or hang on a little bit longer. So maybe that is one of the things which influence them.
3: Yeah. But certainly one for the good guys, right? I mean... <laughs> well, it <laughs> now, is. What do you all... What do you all think of what this does for people's confidence in secure messaging apps in general? <laughs> well, I mean, the, the, the ge- ones in general use like Signal, which is yeah. open source. So presumably, folks are able to inspect the code of an app like Signal to make sure there's nothing like this going on. But how sure can you be? In theory, yes. In theory, you're more confident when
0: you hear something's open source. But of course, if everyone is feeling that same confidence... And nobody actually goes and looks at the source code (laughs) to see if there Mm -hmm. are vulnerabilities or if there's some backdoor in it or or whatever. And I'm sure in the case of Signal, someone probably has. But, But oftentimes, people just assume, don't they, that, well, it must be all right, comes from Switzerland. Well, it's not even that though i'm sure the
1: criminals they were going after were not like cyber uh whiz kids right so these are people that are probably like shifting boxes of stuff or whatever who knows but like not whiz kids so if someone... yeah, well, a, a lot of
0: them maybe, but yeah but there, there may also be others who are on the sidelines or people who are just curious you know they come across something i mean this thing had a twitter account they come across it maybe they get hold of the app and they're just People are just interested in I just wonder if a smart criminal has just gone,
1: uh, why don't we just use telegram or signal at the stage? Like that's
0: mm-hmm. you know well, I'm sure plenty of them are. And of course right. there's lots of pressure from uh from governments to, you know to, to try and put back doors into some of these messaging services. You know, right. But does this
3: weaken the case for that? For that argument, if if because if if uh, folks can say, well, listen, you have other ways to get at this information besides weakening encryption, right? Here's here's an example. You put out your own app, so why should we weaken encryption when you can get when you are so successful getting all these bad guys all around the globe <laughs> by other means?
0: Well, you could use the same argument. To say, didn't it work great with a nom? Wouldn't it work even mm. better? if WhatsApp and Facebook Messenger and Signal and everything else were to do it as well. True.
3: It's... Yeah, true. Anyway, yeah.
0: <laughs> I don't know who to trust now.
3: <laughs> well, but, you know, it's a good thing that the bad guys are looking over their shoulders, isn't it? Yes, yes.
0: If it makes them uncertain, I'm sure for those years, when, when they found that, for instance, shipments of drugs were being intercepted, they were probably, in, there's probably infighting and suspicions as to mm-hmm. who might have said something. You know, only you knew this information. Right,
3: right. Who was the rat?
0: Uh well, David, what have you got for us this week?
3: Back in February, USA Today, which is a publication here in the U.S., um, they published a news story about the tragic death of two FBI agents who were in the process of serving a warrant In a CSAM case and CSAM is child sexual abuse materials. So um, the FBI were going after someone who they alleged was involved in this horrible crime of Mm. uh, imagery of of child sexual abuse. So uh, a team of law enforcement officers uh, were attempting to execute this warrant. And evidently, the person that they were after had some sort of doorbell camera, saw them coming. And fired through the door at all these law enforcement people who were knocking on the door to serve him the warrant. Well, Two like officers with a, gun, were, with a gun. With a gun. Yes. Yeah, it wasn't right. with the uh, doorbell
0: crow. They haven't uh, yet made IOT doorbells. <laughs> it could with have been a water gun
1: pistol. It could have been like you know, oh, like be? through a yeah. straw, little little paper balls <laughs> yeah. through a straw. <laughs> yeah. You know, don't assume, Graham. Yeah. Okay.
3: <laughs> yeah. So real gun, real bullets. Um, Real people died. So two officers were killed. Three others were wounded. Holy moly. Um, Yeah. Uh, SWAT team was brought in. There was more gunfire exchanged. This was in America, wasn't it? I'm guessing. From what the clues (laughs) you've (laughs) got. How could you tell, Graham? How could you tell? Um, Eventually, the suspect, uh, my understanding is he took his own life uh, again via gunshot. So... It's a tragic situation all around, right? Starting with the the child sexual abuse material, uh, obviously the FBI uh, officers killed in the line of duty. Um, But where it gets interesting is uh, the FBI served Gannett, who publishes USA Today, served them with a subpoena, and they wanted information about basically everyone who accessed a news article. During a 35-minute window, starting just after 8 o'clock p.m. on the day of the shootings. Now, the demand, which was, you know, signed by a senior FBI agent, um, it didn't ask the names of the people who read the story, but they were looking for IP addresses, mobile phone information that could lead to the identities of the folks who read the information. Sorry.
1: Now. Yeah, I'm not following either. So,
0: so the, the shooting has happened.
3: Yeah, right. USA Today has
0: published this story about something which happened earlier that day, right? Or
3: right. Like Hours that. later, USA Today Hours publishes the story. A, the story is still online, by the way. You can go read the story. Right. Okay.
0: Uh, and then the FBI investigating the shooting want to know who's been reading the news article which came out after the shooting.
3: Correct. Correct. It's a bit odd. So the. <sighs> What people are supposing is that the FBI thinks or thought that perhaps someone else who was involved in this crime, in the child sexual abuse materials crime, may have been reading the article. And perhaps if we know who was interested in, the, in what went down here, uh, who had an immediate interest in it, that might lead us to more of the people who were uh-huh. after
1: Uh, So, like, but I'm guessing USA Today probably has what, like, there'd be a thousand a minute clicks? Like, it doesn't narrow the the pool that much.
3: No, no, it wouldn't. Um, But uh, beyond that, there are serious uh, First Amendment rights issues here with this subpoena. Um, now, one of the interesting things I learned in reading this article is that this is a particular case where the FBI does not have to go in front of a judge to get a subpoena like this. Uh, this FBI agent only had to get the sign off from one of his superiors at the FBI in order to proceed with this subpoena. Okay. Um, and, and the reason behind this is that they say in cases like this, particularly with horrific things like child sexual abuse they have made the case that they need to be able to act quickly uh, because people are in jeopardy all right now in this in this case many hours went between the shooting and the publication of the news article uh, so it doesn't seem as though there was any real time constraint here on gathering this information so uh, the folks at Gannett, USA Today, they pushed back. They they refused the subpoena. They said it was a, a clear violation of the First Amendment.
1: Because they would have to give the details, the information that they had IP addresses on every single person that had read that article, right?
3: Exactly. Exactly. Right, right, and
1: right. so I, I've been
3: trying to think of an analogy for this, and it's kind of the difference between you know going in front of a judge and saying, hey, we suspect that this person was reading this article and we would like to have a subpoena just to verify mm. that as part of the investigation we're doing as opposed to saying we want to search every house in the neighborhood right <laughs> because we think the bad guy might have driven through this neighborhood so we want to search every house in the neighborhood we mm. just want to throw this web out there and you you can't do that
0: yeah we have seen we have seen these sort of dragnet Uh, Sort of scooping up of data in the past, haven't we? I remember there have been some cases where there have been physical bank robberies. And Mm -hmm. the FBI has requested information from technology companies uh, regarding who might have been in the location around about that time in order to narrow down the the potential list of suspects, which has caused some controversy in the past.
3: We had cases back here years ago where uh, folks were trying to get the lists of books that people signed out from libraries, Hmm. Um, and you know, is are are you are you entitled to the privacy of knowing of other people knowing what books you've signed out from a library? So that could be embarrassing
0: for you, Dave, if you if you took out like an erotic romance or something or some sort of bodice ripper.
3: Well, not just one, but yes, absolutely, absolutely.
1: Bro, what have you got for us? So picture it, your iPhone, you're both iPhone users, aren't you? Yeah. Now imagine it started acting all buggy, like not the way you expect it to work. (laughs) And you're getting frustrated and you panic a little bit, you push a lot of buttons. You might even decide to turn on and off again, but to no avail, right? Mm -hmm. So you have options in this case, don't you? um so what would you do yes. you might like say you just you've run out of ideas you can't fix it your friends can't fix it so you need to get it repaired somewhere mm. now where would you mm. go typically in that scenario when one of your apple products do not perform appropriately
0: first choice would be the local apple store or apple sort of partner yeah
1: like so like with my car i just take it to any old well not any old garage but like mm. not not the official whatever company garage but with my mm. phone, I tend to go to the Apple store too. Yeah. I once had insurance. It was covered under some insurance that we had, some bank insurance or something. And I dropped my phone. Anyway, I got soaked. And,
2: uh, In right. what, <laughs> What
1: did it fall what, what, yeah. what? Honestly, what, yeah, what did and it I'll fall tell into, you, you won't Carol? believe me. It, it fell into a bucket of water outside. Like I was outside working and it was got too hot. And then I was trying to open the door and it just fell right off the yeah. top of my book, slid right into this. Yeah. Anyway, Lovely. so so anyway, so so I sent it off, and they sent me back a phone, but it was like a, it was anyway, it wasn't very good. So right. I've always thought, go Apple, go Apple, go Apple. So so this story <laughs> is all about someone who did exactly this. It starts on fourteenth of January, twenty sixteen, right? Mm-hmm. And our main character is an unnamed twenty one year old student. Um, and it becomes pretty crystal clear why she's unnamed. So so this student, we're going to give her a name. Should we give her a name? W- willamina let's call her willamina okay, <laughs> okay. willamina she, she her phone was all buggy so she sent her phone off to repair so you know how there's two ways you can do it you can go to the apple store or you can send it off right yeah. and you hmm. put pop it in the mail yeah. and they go and take care of it and and the phone was then given to a repair facility run by apple so apple don't do all the work necessarily themselves okay they have contractors that do some of the work. Mm-hmm. So in this case, it was a contractor mm-hmm. called Pegatron uh, in Sacramento, California.
3: By the way, I just want to uh, just for the record point out that Pegatron is widely considered to be the kinkiest of the transformers. <laughs> I
1: didn't even know it was a transformer. Is that true? No, it's
3: a joke. no, it's not true.
1: <laughs> <laughs> She's so innocent. Okay, so we have so so we have this Apple contractor that is looking after the phone now. Yes. And during that time, two technicians got access to the phone. Mm. And while they were, quote, unquote, repairing the phone, oh. they found some sensitive information. Now, as app tech repair folk, this must happen like all the time. Yeah. Someone comes in with a problem. Mm-hmm. Like, I can't get my photos or my phone's like frozen. I, you know I can't get any information off it. It's a bit like when the
0: boss's laptop stops working, right? And the IT te- he gives it to the IT team and he sort of says some well, he goes to the head of IT and says, Look, I need you to be discreet with this, right? <laughs> <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Something funny's happened on it. I don't want you letting every right. member of IT looking at this laptop. Could
3: you just handle this yourself? We don't have to talk about my browsing history. Yeah.
1: <laughs> exactly. Right. So then these guys must be expert adverting their eyes, you know, from notifications yes. or texts yes. or emails or pics or whatever. So, okay, so Wilhelmina sent off her phone for repair, you know, via the appropriate Apple channels. And it wasn't like she was standing over them. She wasn't at the Genius Bar or anything. She sent it via the mail. Mm. But according to legal findings seen by the Telegraph, these two unnamed technicians that found the sensitive content, when I say sensitive, I mean like pictures of her in various stages of undress, and a sex video. Ooh. Ooh. And mm. not only found it. So say, say you were this kind of person, Graham. <laughs> <You
0: found it. laughs> what, the one with a sex no, video? No, no, no. The one the that has received
1: You're working, you're in tech support, whatever. And you see these big sexy, sexy videos.
0: hum dum dum Yes.
1: I, I hate the idea, but I can almost imagine they might load it up for their own enjoyment somewhere. Like that would be like the worst thing I can imagine. Like, oh, I'll keep this for later if it's sexy, sexy.
3: Mm hmm. When I was in college, I had a friend who worked at a photo mat. Do you know what a yes. photo mat is? Oh, right. So the photo mat was the little photo booth in the middle of a parking lot where you would drop off your photos and then you would come back the next day and they were developed. And for the young members of our audience, uh, this was a thing that used to happen. You took photos on this thing <laughs> called film and then the next day it would be developed and you get your pictures back. Anyway, he worked at the photo mat and he said he told me that um, in the little booth there, they had a binder that they called the who's your daddy binder. And that was where whenever someone would come in with photos from, say, a bachelor party or something like that, they would run off extra copies of the spicy photos and they would go in the folder for the employees oh. to enjoy. So there's a long history of this That sort is
1: closer of to home than you even know. I can't even tell you. But anyway, um, we're not going into that. On another show, perhaps. All right. <laughs> right? Okay. So, so what these guys do, instead of just putting it into their Who's Your Daddy photo album, post it up on her own Facebook account. What? Making it look like she had uploaded the content herself. Oh, my goodness. And Wilhelmina, our unnamed student, it's not really your name, okay, none the wiser, only finds out when her friends contact her and go, probably say something like, hey, did you mean to have a pic of your hoochie-coochie all over the public news feed? Mm -hmm. So
0: Why mm. why would they do that? Do you think it was an accident? Do you think they meant to post it to their mates from their Facebook account? And they accidentally logged into hers from her phone. Or something. I'm-
1: so it's like a colossal fuck-up as opposed to uh, just complete ridiculous insanity.
0: That's all I'm thinking is that they must have, it must have been a
3: mistake on their part because clearly. I don't think so.
0: God, you
1: ma- they must have shot themselves both simultaneously.
3: Imagine, if you will, that Beavis and Butthead are working at this this repair Mm. shop and they are incredibly bored. Right. And these two guys just, they hang out together and they're the two goofballs and they just, and they're, they're always looking for things to do to, to fight the boredom and keep themselves interested. And, uh, as they say, one thing led to another and, and Beavis said to Butthead, Hey, wouldn't it be funny? Look, I can access her Facebook. I've got an idea. Watch this. And they had a good laugh before they realized what they had, well, it's. It,
1: I think it's very heartwarming to know that Apple spent a lot of time vetting their contractors that take care of these very important <laughs> devices that have become, you know, instrumental to our lives. Right, right. So, so what's happened to these guys? Wilhelmina most likely mortified and furious, right? And Too she's like, right. "I don't even have my fucking phone. It's at Apple." Mm-hmm. She probably was like fielding a bunch of calls from her auntie Jean and ex-boyfriends and all the, all the, anyway. So she lawyers up, she lawyers up and takes on Apple. And lawyers for Wilhelmina threatened to sue Apple citing invasion of privacy and severe emotional distress, right? Mm -hmm. And apparently reportedly demanded 5 million in damages during the negotiations.
3: Yeah, sure. Why not? I mean, that's but the. We don't know how much she got. That's the money Tim know. Cook has in the couch in his office. I mean, right <laughs> at, at
0: Apple, just probably
1: nestled within his uh, his sure right? I that's- don't think I
0: don't think it's that outrageous an amount of money to request, actually. No, after no a me neither. Mm. Me neither. Like Apple, I think it. You know,
1: and we don't know how much she actually got. We don't know right. how much. Uh, we don't know how much she actually ended up getting, but. Um, the thing is she's not allowed to speak about this. She had to sign an NDA to get the, the wanga. Right. I really don't like the whole, you know, STFU if you want this cash. I don't, I don't, I
0: don't. Well, like I guess that. that's the bargain you do, isn't it? Is that you can either take them to court and have it decided by a judge, which will then all be public, or you can settle on the steps of the courthouse and they say, look, we'll give you more than you wanted. Mm hmm. If you agree to do this, it's just a business yeah, for, relationship. For isn't
1: life, it. like I think there should be a limit of like three years or something. Like I can understand, but I don't think you should be able to like erase stuff from history by paying people off. Like, and but, it'd be a legal well, mm,
0: mm, Yeah. Approach. But, hey, Carol, you—you you found out about this somehow?
1: Well, exactly. How did I find out about it? Right? How do Your we? You're Wilhelmina. <laughs> <laughs> Well, the settlement only came to light because Pegatron, this was the intermediate company, the contractor for Apple, had gone to their own insurance company to get the money to pay for whatever they decided they were going to pay for this. And their insurance company said, "Uh, no, we're not going to compensate you for the amount. So it refused to pay. Hmm. And in that, Apple said you have to call us the customer. But during a bunch of legal fights going back and forth, it eventually became clear that the customer was Apple. Oh. So it leaked.
0: And are Pegatron suing Beavis and Butthead?
3: No, they're fired, right? I mean, they're they're just gone. I, I, they're fired, but they've caused a lot of damage. Yeah,
1: yeah, they're they're, they're fired. They've been fired. Yeah, they've been eradicated from the uh, organization. Mm. Apple confirmed the incident to a statement uh, to The Guardian uh, Monday. And the woman, of course, has not responded to any of it. So uh, she can't. Mm -hmm. She can't say anything. She can't say that's bullshit. She can't say that's true. She can't say anything. Apple's spokesperson, of course, says we take privacy and security. What do you think? What are the next words?
3: Very seriously.
0: Extremely seriously. <laughs> so, can we can can we decide who the victims are here? Who who are the victims? Right. Obviously, Wilhelmina. Right. Wilhelmina. Yes. yes.
1: Definitely a victim. I
0: would I would argue that maybe Apple are a victim because they've been let down by Pegatron.
3: Yeah, by a third party. Yeah, yep. third party vulnerability. I think, in a way,
0: Pegatron are a victim because they've been let down by. Beavis and Butthead who did something m- utterly, utterly moronic and unethical mm. and immoral. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> and maybe, <laughs> maybe Pegatron should have had, I mean, even if you have rules in place, if people are doing that kind of diagnostic work to fix a phone, is there any way to prevent them from?
1: Yes. Ah, yes, there is. Right. Yes, there ah. is. Okay. Number one. Say your phone's screwed. Now, this is this, of course, all depends on the fact of how screwed or fucked up your phone is. If you happen to dump it in a big pile of water, you're not going to be able to do any of this stuff.
0: Who would be dumb enough to drop it into some exactly? Only a (laughs)
1: numpty, (laughs) a numpty. Okay, so if possible, back up your iOS device. You should be doing this anyway, Mm -hmm. right to the cloud, but have a backup of your device, Mm -hmm. your iOS device, and then erase your iOS device before you send it off. Yeah. So it's settings, general, reset, erase all content. Mm. And then Apple get a device that has nothing on it and it's okay. They can fix the inside components of it. And then all you do when you get it back is you can reload up all your information from your backup. Right. Um, There's also advice about uh, making sure the activation locked is disabled because of course you can't send a locked device Mm. over because, Mm -hmm. and in fact, even if you go into the store, they'll often ask you to disable your password. Right. So yeah, you want to think again, like that's, and they take the phone to the back. And the reason they do that is they don't have to come back and forth every, you know, whatever, two minutes to, you know, can you reactivate? Can you have your fingerprint? Right. So, you know, erasing your device before you bring it to an Apple store, if possible sounds to me like a really smart idea. And the other thing you do is remove the SIM card. From the device. Also, if you're mailing it in, remove the case, screen protectors, and keep your cables and chargers. Apparently, people sometimes mm. send them in, and never see them again.
3: See, I would, I would think if I had this sort of material on my phone,
1: what sexy, sexy, naked videos of you? Okay,
3: exactly, exactly. Dancing, so dancing
1: I, to some show tune. Yeah,
3: as if that were even possible. Um, I would just write off the phone. I would. Just get a new phone. If I had a backup, you know, the phone's broken. Okay. It's not worth sending off to someone else and risk that falling into the wrong hands. Uh, If I could afford it, right, I would just buy a new phone and restore from backup. Exactly, Dave. Not
0: everyone's as rich as the host of the cyber wire and hacking humans. Not everyone's dripping in diamonds
3: like you guys are. (laughs) Right. Lighting cigars with $100 bills. Yes, absolutely. Exactly.
1: Walking around with a faux fur coat.
3: Your big ass sponsors. Now, the other thing I will point out is that there are apps available that allow you to store this sort of stuff under a separate password from the main password on the phone. So... If you want to have this sort of thing on your device, perhaps you want to have it under a second layer of protection so that if the repair folks need access to the phone, that's fine. But they won't have access to this secure folder where you keep this sort of thing.
1: Yeah, or just don't keep that kind of stuff. I don't know.
3: Well, let's not be hasty, Carol. I mean, everybody's—you know—just be everybody's,
1: pure. as driven snow like me. It's been, been a
3: long time under lockdown, Carol. People, people have needs. They have impulses. I don't.
1: They, they have don't have desires. to save the stuff. There is a web browser. <laughs> Jeez. So, what's a con game? It's a fraud that works by getting the victim to misplace their confidence in the con artist. In the world of security, we call confidence tricks social engineering. And as our sponsors Know Before can tell you, human error is how most organizations get compromised. Where there's human contact, there can be con games. It's important to build the kind of security culture in which your employees are enabled to make smart security decisions. And to do that, they need new school security awareness training. Know Before are the provider of the world's largest security awareness and simulated phishing platform. See how your security culture stacks up against KnowBe4's free phishing test. Get it now at KnowBe4.com slash free test. That's K-N-O-W-B-E and the number 4.com slash free test. Think of KnowBe4 for your security training. Around
0: 80% of business data breaches result from weak or reused passwords. Using 1Password can close the gaps in your company's security, combat shadow IT, and help your employees stay both productive and secure wherever they are. 1Password makes the secure thing to do the easiest thing to do quickly deploy one password to a single team multiple teams or your entire enterprise provision employees using trusted systems respond rapidly to domain breach reports and offer every business user a free one password families account for work from home security find out more and try one password for free for 14 days at onepassword.com and thanks to one password for supporting the show.
1: Deep Secure Threat Removal is a very cool product which takes incoming poisoned Word documents, booby-trapped PowerPoint slides, and the like, and creates brand new files with just the good stuff and none of the bad. It is a neat way of handling brand new threats coming into organizations via web, email, or file sharing, and it can run along your existing antivirus. Threat removal gives you the good stuff by delivering files that are 100% threat-free, fully functional, and fully revisible. Adding threat removal to your defense can help you reduce administrative costs as it doesn't require signature updates or security patches, and reduces the time your security team spends on false positives and remediation. Visit deep-secure.com forward slash smashing security. That's deep secure with a hyphen Dot com slash Smashing Security for more information and to set up your free trial today. And deep thanks to Deep Secure for sponsoring the show. And welcome back. And you join us at our favourite part of the show? The part of the show that we
0: like to call Pick of the Week.
3: Pick of the Week.
0: Pick of the Week. Pick of the Week, of the week is the part of the show where everyone chooses something they like. It could be a funny story, a book, that they've read, a TV show, a movie, a record, a podcast, a website or an app. Whatever they wish. Doesn't have to be security-related, necessarily.
1: Better not be. Well,
0: my pick of the week this week is not security-related. I remember, as a child, loving a series of books, which I've recently been reading with my son. Sometimes I read them. Sometimes he reads them. They are called The Three Investigators' Books. Ooh, okay. They came out in the 60s, I think, originally. And there's something like over 40 of them. It features Jupiter Jones, Pete Crenshaw, and Bob Andrews of Rocky Beach, California. Jupiter lives on a scrapyard of his uncle and aunt, and they have a base hidden behind a pile of rubbish. And what happens is these three teenagers, they get mysteries to solve. So they run in a little detective agency, and they investigate anything, sometimes with the help of their English chauffeur who drives them around in a Rolls Royce.
1: Is there any ladies in this? Any girls?
0: There's no lady, there are very few
3: lady folk.
1: Oh, yeah, we don't really exist. I keep forgetting.
3: (laughs) Well, back in the 60s, you didn't, Carol. We
1: were only 20% of the population back then.
3: (laughs) Right, right. Yeah, no girls allowed. These are just three guys, three guys solving (laughs) mysteries. If you want girls solving mysteries, that's what Nancy Drew is for. Come on. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) Now, sometimes the three investigators is
0: known as Alfred Hitchcock and the three investigators because through some sort of shady marketing arrangement, uh, Alfred Hitchcock would sometimes frame the books or frame the story. So he'd have a chapter at the beginning just introducing the characters. And then at the end of the story, they would go and explain the mystery to him and tie up the loose ends. But uh, he didn't write the books. A lot of people thought Alfred Hitchcock wrote those. He didn't write the books. The early ones were written by a chap called Robert Arthur. And then they were written by others as well. They are great stories like The Mystery of the Green Ghost, the Whispering Mummy, The Stuttering Parrot, I still love them to this day. And I found a fan website at threeinvestigatorsbooks.com where We can find out more. In fact, Carl, I don't know if you remember, when we used to work for a certain computer security company. I hardly remember. It's hazy. Um, all those years ago, I was, I was on eBay and I had a bookshelf behind me, which I was slowly filling up with old Three Investigators books in order to complete my collection. And, uh, so I've loved them a, a long old time
1: and they're great. And that is my pick of the week. Do you think that's why you're not great with, uh, with women? Because all the books you read just had boys in them. You just never learned about them. What do you mean? I'm not
0: great with women.
1: Maybe. <laughs> what do you mean? Maybe I should buy you some. Yeah. Maybe I'll buy you some Nancy Drew. Miss Marple.
3: Dave, what's your pick of the week? So back in the day, and and by the day I mean 1994, um, there was a game called Sim Tower, and this is when remember when the the Sims were spinning off all sorts of different types of games. Yes. So you had you had Sim Life, you had uh, I don't know what Sim Zoo. There were all sorts Sim of City. Sim City. Sim City, right, right. So mm-hmm. Sim Tower was a game where you were trying to build this an office building, a mixed use office building, so you could have. Uh, part of it was a hotel and part of it had a, you could put a movie theater in. And you had to build in parking garages and all sorts of things. Yeah, I remember. It's great. Yeah, it was a fun game. And uh, the key to success in the game was managing your elevators, was moving people around because <laughs> that's how you scored points in the game. And if if people got angry that they couldn't get to where they were going, um, you know, that was bad for your score in the game. So that I think kicked off my fascination with games that involve moving people around efficiently and and those sorts of things. Um so uh, logistics basically yes.
1: travel tra- transportation logistics. Absolutely,
3: okay. absolutely. So uh there is a game that popped up in my Apple Arcade subscription and it's called Mini Motorways and it is similar to sim tower in that you are building little roads to connect people's homes to little shopping malls and and parking garages and as the game goes on more and more homes spawn into this world and more garages and malls spawn into this world and so it gets faster and you have to connect more cars and you get traffic jams and you get bridges and you get you can build little freeways and things like that um, it's a game that's very simple from the outset, but as you play it, you start to figure out ways to to get higher and higher scores and deliver more people to their destinations. Uh, it can get a little fast and furious towards the end because there are so many cars and you're you're trying to manage them, and um, so it's a lot of fun. And cool. That, and are you addicted? Uh, it, well, yes. Uh, see. <laughs> addicted is a strong word, Carol. I would say that. At the end of a busy day, if I'm looking to unwind, I will often fire up mini motorways and sort of disengage my brain and spend 20 minutes or so building a little community and trying to get cars to their destinations. And that is why mini motorways is my pick of the week.
1: (laughs) No worries about you sending your phone off to Apple to get repaired, right? (laughs) (laughs) No. <laughs> <laughs> hey,
3: we got a weirdo here. He's uh, he's playing mini motorways. Yeah, and that's it. <laughs> so it's on Apple Arcade. It's on Apple Arcade. It's it's on other. Th- I think it's on Steam. It's there are oh, okay. desktop PC versions of it. So it's probably been out for a while, right. but uh it's new to me, and I I enjoy it very much.
0: It looks very looks very cute. Carol, what's your pick of the week?
1: Um. Okay, mine is a, a TV anthology called Love, Death, and Robots. Have you guys seen it, either of you?
0: No. No.
1: Okay, so animated anthology series started back in March 2019. And I, I remember hearing about it, but I never watched it at the time. But season one has a whopping 18 episodes. Uh, some of them are as short as six minutes, and others are as long as about almost 20 and the idea is that you have um, different animators, different storytellers delivering standalone sci-fi stories. And I'm guessing the, uh, you know, what they were told is make it about love, death, and robots. <laughs> that was it. Right? <laughs> Season two has just recently come out, which is why it's hit the news again. Unfortunately, it's a lot shorter, less contributors, but it's really quite great. I found it fantastic. Now, the press, when I went looking about this to ha- cover it for today, a lot of them were like, Oh God, it's mediocre. Or some of them are stupid. And there's a lot of, uh, 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 uh. I don't agree with it. Obviously, I liked some of the stories better than others. I liked some of the animation better than others. Some were a bit gruesome, indulgently right. so. You know, there's like sex bots in some. Oh. So it's not for kids or anything. And it's a bit gratuitous, but it doesn't matter. It's the it's the animation is 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 just mind blowing. Oh really. Like there's one story where these people and these are this is the only one where there's actual people. Everybody else is computer animated. But there's these two people and they open up their fridge and there's a tiny world inside their freezer. And they can see and it's basically just civilization occurring from the beginning. It's not end. that unusual actually <laughs> no, oh, in okay, college
3: well, dorm rooms all over the world. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but you can take your pick now. If you're if you're a little bit chicken shit or scaredy cat, because some of them are a little bit like eek. In the show notes, I have put a uh, a vulture write up um, about each episode. You can take a read and watch those that you fancy because mm-hmm. there's no tie between them. Anyway, I say check it out. I loved it. Love, Death, and Robots on Netflix is my pick of the week.
0: Terrific. Now, Carol, you've been uh, chatting with Simon Wiseman from DeepSecure, right?
1: Yes, Simon Wiseman. Okay, this is such an interesting interview. He basically talks us through the idea of how you can deliver malware-free, like zero malware, any chance of malware. In our world, that's like, really? Well, maybe you need to listen to see how he's done it. It's pretty clever. So today I am pleased to be joined by Deep Secure CTO, Dr. Simon Wiseman. Welcome to Smashing Security. Thank you for speaking with us.
2: Well, thanks for having me along.
1: Now, um, I have to say before we start that you do have the best name I've ever heard. So Simon's obviously a smart person's name, probably because of that brain game Simon says when we were kids. But you also have Wiseman as a surname, it's genius.
2: I know, it didn't do me well at school, that's not what they call me there. <laughs> Now i got ribbed to rotten for it. Well, not anymore, who's laughing now? <laughs> I guess so.
1: <laughs> so DeepSecure is a pretty interesting and innovative cybersecurity company. It says you're trusted with safeguarding some of the most uncompromisable systems around the globe. So that is what we were gonna dig into today. But let's first maybe set the stage. What can you tell us about you and DeepSecure?
2: Uh, well, um, DeepSecure, we're a tech company based in the UK. And we're really dedicated to cybersecurity. That, that's all we do. Mm-hmm. We create software products. We provide services um, to defend organizations uh, of all sizes, you know, across all sectors, really defending them against malware. And uh, our core technology is is threat removal. And that just exists to stop malware. And it really does work. Uh, we, we once put it to the test. We put uh, over 30 million examples of known malware in front of it. And that batch included malware of of every kind. It was executables, macros in office documents, PDFs, image files, the lot, right? And every one of those files was either made safe or blocked. And we've even had, you know, highly skeptical customers do similar tests, you know, including some government agencies who didn't just try publicly known malware. uh, And, you know, threat removal just won out every time.
1: Really interesting because a lot of companies say, you know, we stop malware, but no one says all. Yeah. So how, how are you
2: confident we're
1: saying that all malware is stopped?
2: Well, actually, that's easy for us uh, because threat removal doesn't use detection to spot the malware. So we're not able to be fooled by an attacker hiding it from us. Everyone else is looking for the bad things so that they can be blocked. That's just not a winning strategy because those bad guys are actually really good at it. They're really good at hiding their malware and inventing new ways of getting past you. And in the end, they will always win. Yeah. So what you're
1: saying is threat removal is the name of DeepSecure's technology. And this technology, it doesn't use detection to spot malware, but it just removes what all the stuff that can make malware exist?
2: Yeah, it, it, it delivers you the kind of information that you need. Um, but without the data that uh, was carrying it, and, and then, which is where the malware lives. So we give you what you want, uh, right. but without the malware.
1: Right, right, right. How did you come up with this idea?
2: It goes back quite a way, actually, because uh, I started life doing cybersecurity research in the defense sector. Okay. Uh, yeah, and as you can imagine, there were you know, a lot of projects there in that, in that community where we're looking for ways of defeating malware. And and the best idea that that was had was to convert complex sort of data files into something simpler that just couldn't carry the usual malware. But uh, the big problem with it is that the users didn't get the information they really needed because everything had to be simplified. Mm -hmm. So like a, a document might get turned into a series of images of the pages, which is okay if you want to read the document, but it's no longer editable. So not, you know, not half as useful as it, as it needs to be. Yeah. And, and even then, you know, it doesn't necessarily stop all the malware because an attacker might do something new and find a way of fitting malware into that simple data that you allow in. And you know even simple images can contain malware. So the idea was good, but you know, really not close enough to be generally useful. But that's what we wanted to do at Deep Secure We wanted to find a way of delivering the users all the information that they need without leaving the attackers with a way in. And then, you know, eventually the light bulb moment came really. Uh it was pretty simple in the end. Uh we just you just throw away all the data and make completely new data to carry the same information as the original had. In other words, kind of like you give the users all the information, but you make a new box to put it in.
1: So there can't be anything sitting in the corner or lurking in the, in the in the in another corner. You cause you created yeah. the box. You know the box is safe. Interesting. That's exactly
2: right, yeah. Huh. And uh you yeah, know, we don't we're not trying to work out whether the data is safe or not. We always throw it away. And that means the attacker has no opportunity to fool us. They can't sneak the malware past our check because we're not checking for bad things. And that's why we can end up with that 100% effectiveness claim.
1: Okay. Okay. So, okay. Can we walk through how this works in practice? Do you mind?
2: Well, yeah. Uh, the... This is, of course, the tricky bit. The theory is nice and simple. Yeah. But, you know, I think that's the breakthrough that, that we made here, you know, at DeepSecure, we've managed to engineer that theory into something that's like workable in practice. Oh. Um, I mean, you've got to have something that's effective and scalable and easy to deploy. Otherwise, no one can adopt it. Uh, and it's got to be like fast and unobtrusive. So it doesn't get in the way of the user's day job and all that's pretty tricky stuff. Uh, but that's what we've got with threat removal. You know, it stops the malware, but doesn't stop you working. Um, now to do that, the first thing we have to do is to get um, into the data flows, uh, because we need to get every file 100% malware free before it gets delivered. So we need to be inside the delivery mechanism. And um, so we've built the interfaces needed to add this into your email web file sharing gateways. And we've provided interfaces so you can integrate it into your internet portal. Um, you know, And once we're in these places, uh, then we can get to work on the data, which is where the proper threat removal process kicks in. Yeah. So that's where you know a file contains data and it carries the information you need. That data is like a pile of bytes encoding the text and graphics you see in a document or uh, the numbers and formulas that you work with in a spreadsheet. Uh, But the data is where the malware hides, right? The data doesn't go in the information, it goes in the data. So if we deliver you the information, but not the data, you get what you want, uh, but you don't get any malware. Fun bit is that even if the data is clean, we still don't give it to you because uh, we, we're not trying to figure out whether the data is infected or not. We always throw it away uh, and because we know that if we try to, to decide, uh, the bad guys will just find a way of beating us.
1: It makes you so unique because there's, is there anyone else that approaches it this way?
2: No, uh, uh, this is unique, I think. you know Everyone else is looking for what's bad. Uh, we're just getting out what you need. Uh, And it's completely different paradigm. Is this all done in the cloud, and then it's sent to me if I were the user, for example? Um, It it can be in the cloud. It can be on on premise gateways. It it can be in all sorts of places, just as long as we can get into the data flow. Uh, So we need to get in to the get to the data before it gets to you, and then so we can clean it up.
1: And this basically means the the recipient or the user just never receives malware using this type of approach.
2: Well, that's right. Yeah. Everyone else is trying to do better detection and that's never going to stop the bad guys completely. They're, they're always going to find a way to evade detection. Um, they're just going to be beating you. Um, and that's why at DeepSecure, we decided we really needed to stop the malware, not just slow it down. And, you know, we want to give the user what they want. That's the information. And we don't give them any malware. And yeah. even if it's zero day malware, you know, which is so hard to detect. Um, all because we throw the data away, whether that's, whether there's any recognizable malware in it or not. That's why we defeat zero day malware as well.
1: It's like a bit like an old house with maybe sneaky mold in the corners, right? And you could send the experts in to try and find the mold and get yeah, rid of the mold, sure. or you could just take all the furniture out and put them in a brand new house and say, here, look, no mold here at all. You're safe.
2: That's perfectly, yeah, perfect analogy for what we're doing. Definitely. Yeah. You can have it. Yeah.
1: <laughs> it's yours. Um, so what about the user experience? Okay. So I'm, say I'm your customer and I think this is fantastic and I want to use this. What do I see? What do I, what do I do?
2: What do you see? Well, that I means this is the real joy. The the user doesn't know anything about this. They don't know any of this is happening because it's completely invisible. Um they get the information they were sent and they get it immediately. So they don't see anything odd. Um the files that arrive, you know, they look and feel just the same as the originals, except of course there's any you know malware might be missing. But all the details there, you know, you if you download a PDF, it, it looks pixel perfect, uh, it's searchable like the original, it's no no different. If you get emailed a Word document, you know, you get all the all the text and formatting and graphics and stuff that's in it, um, everything that was in the original. Uh, but it's just different data. But you can't tell that. you, you they, they look and feel the same.
1: And is it slower, though? Is there like a delay?
2: Oh, well, no. That, I mean, that speed's the other thing, you, you know, which you, you would perhaps notice. But no, this is uh, blisteringly fast, right?
1: Blisteringly fast. I love
2: that. If you're browsing the web, <laughs> all this happens as you download data. Uh, there's no slowdown Uh, and and there's no delay while, you know, you have half a dozen antivirus scanning engines, check the data over. Uh, It just arrives. And and if you sent an email, it just turns up immediately. There's no waiting 10 minutes while it sits in a sandbox being analysed. And there's no prospect of it getting parked in a quarantine queue just because it smacks of some known malware. And then you have to wait ages for the administrators to work out that it's okay for you to have it. You know, your email just turns up and it's clean. And that's, you know, that's what's revolutionary, really. You know, that's fantastic.
1: <laughs> you know, it is because I'm I'm thinking from it from an IT person's you know, you know, perspective, where they're overworked, under resourced, the whole gamut. And this kind of takes that whole problem of of their users uh, opening something that they shouldn't or having the wrong settings, or because if all the files come through this way, they're all they're all clean and then takes, you know, it takes just takes that that whole worry away from them.
2: Well, yeah, the other the other beneficiaries, if you like, are the security operations team. Now they're the ones who sit at the back, looking after the anti uh, yeah. anti virus defenses. And you know what they don't get now is an endless series of alerts where some malware's got past those outer defenses, and now they've got to go and track it down, or, or they don't have to spend time looking at that quarantine queue. You know, checking out the, the important files that have been wrongly blocked, um, and that you know that, that frees them up to to So they can focus on security issues other than malware, which are the ones that really need their skills and analytics, you know, like identity theft and insider attacks.
1: Yeah. So, tell me a bit about like like the organizations that are uh, showing tons of interest. Like, It seems to me that any organization would benefit from this, but-
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, ultimately, there's, who, who on the planet wants to be a victim of a cyber attack, right? Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> but, but threat removal is sort of meant for enterprises, and, and that's because it sits in the infrastructure, right? So, it doesn't help the people at home, unless, of course, it gets built into the services they use. Right. So, you're
1: talking to Google then, right? <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, yeah, that, that'd be great. <laughs> um, but just because it's like the ultimate defense against malware, yeah, it doesn't mean it's only for the super paranoid. Um, you know, because it's fast and efficient, it, it's good for any organisation that's uh, fed up with their anti-malware uh, defenses letting uh, letting stuff in. Mm. Commercial organisations now are routinely targeted by cyber criminals, right? And these criminals are now tooled up with the kind of malware that hostile nation states use to attack defense systems. The really bad stuff is hitting ordinary organizations now. Yeah. These organizations, they're not super paranoid, but they're being hit by all sorts of things, poison word documents and booby trap spreadsheets, images with hidden extras that you'd rather not have, you know, the full works. Um, and as they go through digital transformation, things just going to get worse as they expose a, and have a larger attack surface get more and more connected, and become more reliant on the systems that they use working properly all the time. And that, I think, is generating a real need for this guaranteed malware-free business information uh, across all sorts of organizations. It's the kind of enterprise who really doesn't want to fall victim to malware, but has to connect to other people that they don't trust. Mm -hmm. That's all of us, really, these days. (laughs) Well, well, yeah. I mean, but they really want to do it, and and that includes you know defense, intelligence, other high risk government systems for sure. But there's also parts of the critical infrastructure uh, where malware could lead to really disastrous loss of service. So you know, think about banking, for example. If uh, if the if the banking system was taken down, we we're in a mess. But increasingly, we're winning over customers more in the sort of private sector who are, are just they just understand that nine you know blocking 95 percent of known malware just doesn't cut it anymore. And you know, and I'm saying 95% here because that actually is the typical success rate of antivirus detection.
1: I think most people would say
2: 99 is not good enough anymore. Well, really. indeed. I mean, yeah. if you think about that, what 99 actually means 1% gets through, right? Yeah. Uh, which explains why your security team spend all their time mopping up the mess. Um, mm-hmm. so, so organizations, you know, who want to think differently there, uh, threat removals giving them a real alternative, you know, something that's just simply better, faster, cheaper. The other, the other thing you mentioned there was the cloud. Now, the cloud, the move to the cloud is really helping drive adoption of this. Because it lets customers add it in easily into their existing defenses. Um, we've already got a service that lets developers build threat removal into their web applications and portals in the cloud. Um, and yeah. we've just started delivering protection for web uh, cloud gateways. Um, so that's all pretty neat, but even better, actually, just around the corner, uh, coming up soon, we've got a really neat solution for a cloud solution for email coming as well, which will be really uh, be really uh, knocking people's socks off, I think.
1: Wow. Brilliant. Okay. I know that loads of our listeners are going to try this out for themselves, and you guys can. All you need to do is visit deep-secure.com slash smashing security. So that's deep secure with a hyphen dot com slash smashing security and there you can learn loads of information about what threat removal is and even download a free trial of the tool and that leaves me to say thank you dr simon wiseman cto of deep secure really appreciate you coming on the show that was
0: great thank you well that's certainly an interesting approach to things isn't it well We've just about wrapped it up for this week. Dave, I'm sure lots of our listeners would love to follow you online. What's the best way for folks to do that?
3: On Twitter, I am at Bittner. That's B-I-T-T-N-E-R. And everything else you can find over at thecyberwire.com.
0: Tremendous. And you can follow us on Twitter at Smash Insecurity. No G. Twitter allows to have a G. And we're also up on Reddit as well. Look for our subreddit up there. And don't forget to ensure you never miss another episode. Follow Smash Insecurity in your favourite podcast app, such as Spotify, Google Podcasts and Pocket Casts.
1: And thanks to this episode sponsors, OnePassword, No Before, and Deep Secure, and to our wonderful Patreon community. It's thanks to all of them that this show is free. Now for episode show notes, sponsorship information, guest list and the entire back catalog of more than 230 episodes, check out smashingsecurity.com. Until
0: next time. Cheerio. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye.
1: everybody carol here we've got yet more fantastic reviews to share with you sent last week from baba mall 1980 they write i found this during lockdown i've listened to them all now well done just gutted i've got to wait a whole week between episodes now off to sign up to Patreon, as I can't believe this is free. Jeez, you really wanted to make sure I'd read this out? Well, kudos, I did. We've also got one from 425Slam, who says, Discovered this great show during last year while working from home and commenced to binge. Fun and informative. I especially love Pick of the Week. Those picks led me down so many great rabbit holes. Thanks so much. You are welcome, 425Slam. There was a few snafus with my audio this week. The regulars of you will know that. And it took a lot of work to edit to make it sound good. And so these reviews mean particularly a lot this week, especially when we're struggling. So, huge thank you to you all. And keep them coming. See you next week.